So um, let, me, let me just introduce myself a little bit. I want to tell you a little bit about my story. I, um, I grew up on the west coast of America. I had never once in my life heard about God. I never once knew that there was a Bible. I had no idea what went on inside buildings like this. Like, I know that I had ridden my bicycle and then later my motorcycle by churches, but I never once thought about what went on in them. I had no concept of any of this whatsoever. And then uh, when I was about 17 years old, there was this really cute gal in high school. And I asked her out week after week after week. And she said, Michael, I'll go out with you if you take me to church. And I thought, I have no idea what that means. <laughs> but no. That just sounds weird to me. Like I actually had to go ask a friend, what the heck is church? And he goes, oh man, they, like, they sing really bad music. It was 1976. And they like do goofy stuff and, and uh, you probably don't want to be involved in that. And I thought, you're probably right. I had no, I mean, we had no concept of any of this. And um, uh, can you guys see me okay if I stand here? Sweet. And, um, and so finally, one Monday morning, as was my habit, I stopped by her locker and I asked her out again. And she said, absolutely, you could take me to something going on at the gymnasium in school this evening. And I thought, sweet, my charms wore her down. <laughs> and uh, so she said, you know, come by and pick me up at 6.30. And, and uh, I went to ask one of my friends, because I had no idea what was going on at the school that night. And I went to ask him, and, and uh, I said, do you know what's going on tonight in the gym? He goes, yeah, there's some, like, evangelist dude that was coming, and I go, evangelista? Like, what's that? Like, we didn't even know how to pronounce any of these words. And so I, th I thought, what's that? And he's like, I don't know, he like talks about church stuff. And I'm like, crap. <laughs> but she was gonna go out with me, I wasn't going to church, I thought we can sit high in the bleachers, and we make out, and it'll be fine. <laughs> and that's, that's what I thought. And, so I got, I got there, that, I picked her up and we went there and uh, we went up high in the bleachers. She said, hey, let's sit down here in front. And I go, no, let's go up here. We went way up there and it's kind of dark up there. And this guy started talking about Jesus. I'd never heard any of this. I kind of forgot she was sitting there next to me because I thought, this is an amazing story. And he's talking like the story is true. Like he's talking like, like he knows the dude who lived a couple thousand years ago. And it just kind of captured my attention and my imagination. And at the end of that, he gave an invitation, I, I heard that it's called, where people kind of come down front and some people were going down front. And I felt this strange thing inside me about maybe it would be good to go down front. So I grabbed a hold of the bleachers. And then it was done. I'm like, whew. And I took her home and and uh, 
I, I went back to my place and I just sat there in my bedroom and I just thought and I thought and I thought, like, how could there be an alternate world that I didn't know about? Like, how could that be? Like, none of my friends talked like this. I had no idea that there was this kind of alternate way of looking at the world that had my attention. I, and so on Tuesday, a couple of my friends said, hey, how was that thing? And I go, eh, you know. But I snuck back and I listened again. And I snuck back on Wednesday. And I snuck back on Thursday. And my friends were doing something on Friday and I'm like, oh, no, I don't feel that good. And I snuck back again. <laughs> and then uh, it was like Saturday and that gal called me again, her name was Shelly, and said, hey, do you want to go listen to that guy again? And I go, yeah, like, what, so what, what's this thing all about? Like, I was pretending like I hadn't been there all week. <laughs> and so I picked her up, we went again, and somebody met us at the door gate. Hey, Michael, like, you've been here every night. <laughs> and she looks at me, and I'm kind of like, shut up, shut up, and, uh, and finally, it was the last night, and... He gave an invitation again, and I grabbed onto the bleachers, and like I was intrigued by this thing, but like I wasn't going down without a fight. And like, how do you know this is true? And so then that night she says, "Hey, do you want to come to church with me tomorrow?" And I go, "Well, like, what's it like?" And she goes, "Just like this." And I go, "All right." I thought, dude, I get to hang out with her three times in one week. She said no for like months, right? And so I went to church again, and guess who the speaker was? It was the same dude. He was like stalking me, <laughs> right? And so the same kind of thing happened. And then I met some of her friends that were part of this youth group. I discovered they had been praying for me. And some of them were my friends, but I didn't know they were part of this group. And, and, and then I began to just debate and argue with them, like every time I saw them about this stuff. Like something... Some of this truth about this whole different way of looking at the world had gotten kind of into my soul, and I was hungry for it. I was kind of hoping it was true that there was a God and that he loved me enough to, like, come to the planet to make himself real and that he was, like, starting a whole new world through his death and resurrection. And he was inviting us into this thing. Like, I was really intrigued by it, but I was really good at arguing and I just kind of wanted to just poke at it and see if it would fall apart. And so I did that quite a bit. I made her cry as I argued with her. I kind of made her mom cry as I argued with her. <laughs> they finally sicked the pastor on me. I didn't know what that was, but it's a guy named Ted who'd been kind of a missionary church planting in Africa for years. And we'd sit with him and I'd argue with him. He didn't cry. Ted was tough, and he was quite a bit bigger than me. And, and eventually, they gave me a New Testament. They told me to read that. I'm sitting in my bedroom one night, and I was completely overwhelmed by God's love. The fact that the God of heaven and earth would, like, take me in his arms and love me, just welcome me, that he wasn't embarrassed by me, that he like, cared about me, and that he met me right where I was at. Like, that just overwhelmed me. And none of it made sense to me. But I thought, well, I'm gonna try this thing they call prayer. It was 
in the middle of the night. It was like, I don't know, 2.30, 3 o'clock in the morning. I couldn't go to sleep. I couldn't get this stuff out of my head. And, and so I just prayed, simple little goofy prayer. God, if you're real, like if this is real, like I want it. It seems too good to be true, so don't pull a fast one on me because I'm pretty sharp. But like if this is really true, like I want this thing. Like I was in touch with loneliness that I had really never known. I was kind of pushing aside. As I, as I began to explore this thing, I began to realize like deep, deep down inside, like I'm a pretty lonely, hurting dude. And I kind of treated people, I used people to try to get my needs met. I didn't really care about them at all. I'm like, this is just a lonely place to be. My family was like a whole family of introverts that are, like I'm pretty introverted, but like, like my mom and dad were like way more introverted. Like I can count on one hand with minus a couple fingers how many times like we had somebody over for dinner the whole time I was growing up. And they were related, <laughs> right? I was lonely. And so that night, like, I just said, you know, if you're real, like, I want you. I really do want you. And I realized, like, everything I knew about the world is, like, wrong, topsy-turvy. Like, I was intrigued by several things. I was intrigued by the beauty of Jesus. I, I'm, I'm, I, was, I was, I still am, I guess, a musician. I can play like any beat on the drums from the 70s. Like, like, like I got all of them down, right? I, I was an artist, I was involved in theater, I, I did a lot of music. Like I, I was intrigued by the beauty of Christ. Like how beautiful his life was. His logic as he argued with people, the, the way that he like, like brought the shalom, the peace of God into situations that were incredibly intense. I was amazed at like the stunning, the drop-dead gorgeous beauty of the whole thing. And I thought, I don't have that in my life, but man, I want to see that in my life. And so on an old beanbag chair next to my bed about 2.30 or 3 in the morning, I just prayed that prayer. And like nothing like super stunning, the lights didn't all of a sudden turn on in the room. There weren't like little angels flying around me. You know, the, you know, I didn't fall down blind. I didn't hear Jesus' voice. I, but man, did I feel loved for the first time in my life as the Holy Spirit filled my life. It just filled me. Like I feel it physically, the tangible presence of God. When we, when we in the vineyard pray, come Holy Spirit, we're asking for God's tangible presence. I remember that night, like I experienced that. And I thought, my mom and dad need this stuff. So I marched down the hall, I turned on their light, opened their door, turned on their light, and said, mom and dad, wake up, you're going to hell. <laughs> that was my first try at something like evangelistica, and it didn't work at all. One of the first books I read along the journey somebody gave me was a book by a, a fellow named A.W. Tozier. He was a pastor in Chicago back in the 40s and 50s, and he wrote a book called The Pursuit of God. And when I heard about this conference, Kingdom Pursuit, that's like the first place my head went. Like, I remember that book. I, re I read that book over and over. I loved it. It was actually the first book I'd ever really read. I struggled a lot with dyslexia in school, and so I just didn't read books. I would just take somebody who was cuter than me, generally smarter, because that was almost everyone, uh, when it was time to do a book report, I would take them out on a date, I'd buy them an ice cream cone, I'd ask them about the book. 
they would tell me all about it. I'd go home and I'd write my book report, right? Because reading was like really, really tough for me. And like I read this book and I just consumed it, that and the Bible. I, I, I remember Tozier quotes Psalm 63 in there and where he says like, like my, my heart, my, uh, my heart is thirsty. I'm thirsty for God. When, when can I go and meet with God? Like I'm parched, like in a dry and dusty land where there is no water. When can I meet with him? And, and that thirst, that desire for pursuit that we were singing about was growing in me. He quotes Psalm 42, that is a deer pants for streams of water. So my, my soul pants for you, O oh God. And that, those things kind of became my prayer. I wanted to pursue God. I wanted to chase after him. I, I started meeting some people. I was, I was on my way to college, and I was going to go to a law school because I loved to argue with people and make them cry. That was like, like one of the three things I was good at. Like, like I could play some music, I could play drums, and I could argue until they cried, and then I felt like I won. It's kind of broken, isn't it? And uh, I was on my way to law school, and... Uh, to take some entrance exams, and on my way there, I felt like I heard, like, I didn't know what to call it. Now I would say it was the Holy Spirit. I said, hey, Michael, I didn't make you to study man's law. I made you to study my law. And I thought, oh, my gosh, I'm losing my mind because I'm hearing things, right? And so I went and took my entrance exams. I came back. I called my friend Steve, who was part of that little Mennonite church and that I was now going to. And I called Steve up and I said, uh, hey, Steve, where are you going to college? He goes, oh, man, I'm going to this little Bible college over on the coast. It's really cool. And I said, me too. What's it called? <laughs> and like I changed on a dime to follow Jesus because I wanted like, I want some more of this stuff. I want some more of this. That was like, all that took place like 41 years ago. Let me, let, 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 there's, there's two things as I was praying about tonight that I feel like God really wants to speak to us. There's two big points that we're going to unpack for a little bit. And, and the first point is this. The reason that we can pursue the kingdom, I learned this really early on, the reason that we can pursue the kingdom, the reason that there is a kingdom pursuit on our part is because the king pursues us. You could tweet that. <laughs> Seriously, I checked it. It's under 140 characters. The reason that there is a kingdom pursuit is that the king pursued us. I didn't really check that. I don't know how many characters it is. Like he pursues us. We are so deeply loved by God. Like that's the first point I'm going to make. And the, the second one is this, and, and that he takes you exactly right where you're at. doesn't matter where you're at. Like he takes you there, and he can do amazing things if we just surrender, if we just submit. And honestly, that's as radical as it gets, and it sounds really simple. You might be thinking, dude, uh, Michael, Gandalf was a lot wiser than that. And I would say, you're right. I'm a pretty simple guy, but these two things are absolutely profound. So I don't know if you have access to a scripture, to the Bible at all. Do you have access to that? Do you have it on your phone? Did you bring one with you? Look at 1 John 3, 1. Here's where I want to start. 1 John 3.1. John was one of the apostles, one of the folks that Jesus first invited to follow him. He was walking by the Sea of Galilee. He saw Peter. 
and his brother Andrew, and then he saw James and John, the sons of Zebedee, sons of thunder they were known as, probably because they like to argue and make people cry. I'm not sure exactly, but... John wrote the Gospel of John, to which he refers to himself as the one whom Jesus loved. Did you ever read the Gospel of John and you see how John refers to himself? Like I used to, when I first started reading that, I thought, dude, what an egomaniac. I'm the one Jesus loved. But what if he's on to something that like we desperately need? So in his first letter that he wrote, writes to the churches, he writes this in that first letter. He says, how great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. And in my version, in the English, it has two exclamation marks. I've looked around for other verses with two exclamation marks. I haven't been able to find them. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. How great is his love? What's, it? What's great about it? What's great about God's love? Think about it for you for a second. Like, you know, apparently if you, that's like magic. The verse showed up on the screen. You guys are like brilliant back there, whomever you are. God bless you. That's really good. There's going to be a whole lot more verses coming. You don't have to put them all on the screen. Just leave that one up for a long time because that's a really good one. God's love is absolutely great. Like, think about, for a second, for you, how is his love great for you? Or, or would you use great? Would you use, oh, God's love is pretty good. God's love is, like, all right. Like, when was the last time that you actually felt God's love. And like a real experiential, substantial, like interactive, like in, in, a, in, in a communitive way, in a, in, a, in a way that you can like tangibly understand and express and talk about. When, when is the last time that you just like experienced that? God loves me. The other morning, I was getting up and, and I was praying and I was at home and I have these old cast iron skillets that I like to like refinish and then I like cook fried eggs in them. And it takes a long time to warm up the skillet so I like turn it on and then I go do other stuff around the house and my kids are all like moved on, they're like married and they're like, you know, doing cool stuff somewhere and, and, uh, and so in the morning I just like to spend time with Jesus alone and my wife Brenda, amazing woman, but she likes to sleep in quite a ways and so I'm up early in the morning when the sun comes up and I'm like turning on my cast iron skillet, I'm getting it warm and I'm holding this egg in my hand and I'm looking at this 1940s cast iron skillet. And this will sound really silly to you, but I just thought to myself, I am so loved. <laughs> like, who made this egg? This is amazing, like who designed this thing? This is so incredibly cool, it's like food in a shell like in a box it's like a it's like a mcmeal like before there was mick and then cast iron like who thought of making this thing and i put it down and i walk away and i thought you know what would be really good right now is i'm going to open the windows and 
And in Minnesota, it's, the leaves are just barely coming out on the trees. I mean, they're just little tiny little stubs that are coming out on the trees. And, and I have these bushes that I trimmed back. I'm not a gardener. Like, I don't know how God could ever speak to me gardening because I just don't do it, right? He speaks to me when I'm doing other things. But last summer, I had somebody that talked to me about my lilac bushes, and so I gardened. I just hacked them all down at about this high. It was fun. Like, I, you know, I had a power tool. Like, now that's my kind of gardening. You could smell gasoline from the tool. It was wonderful. So I hack it all down. And you know what's happening right now? Like, all these little buds are coming. These leaves are starting to come out. And it's, like, amazing. And I thought, wow, the ice is going to melt in Duluth, surprising, and like the trees are gonna have leaves. God, like you love me so much. Like this is, like for you, like what's the time? What's the a, what's a time that you experience God's love? You might think, Michael, that stuff is, like you're weird. Like what are you talking about? Here, here, here's what I think. I think that you and I, we can experience God's love in such simple and profound ways then I just kind of want to open you up to that. Your heavenly father deeply, deeply loves you. He cares about you in such incredible ways. How great is the love that the father has lavished on us. Just, what, what, what in your life do you lavish? Do you lavish anything? Like what does lavish mean to you? Here's what happens. After my eggs are done cooking, I make a piece of toast. And then I love real butter. And I lavish it on the bread. <laughs> There's like little pools of butter. They're magic little puddles. And when you go to bite into it, you know, or like an English muffin, you know, with all the little, it's like it's made for butter. And you bite into it and it runs down your beard. It's like beard oil. It's like, it's like moisturizer, right? For you, what does lavish mean? Have you ever thought of God's love just lavished on you? It's like it's amazingly cool, this love that the Father has lavished on us, that we would be called the children of God, that we would be adopted. It's like, how can John say that? How does the Apostle John know that that's true? Well, he knows it's true because of what Jesus said to him while Jesus was on earth. Listen to this out of John 15. Jesus said this, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. John was right there when Jesus said that in person on the night before he was crucified. As the Father has loved me, that's John 15, 9, for those of you Bible maniacs that have to go look it up right away. Is he quoting it right? I have loved you. And he says, now remain in my love. Stay there. A few verses later, he says, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything I learned from my father, I've made known to you. He goes on to say, you did not choose me. I chose you. And I appointed you that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Listen, you may or may not know this, but as a follower of Christ, as a Christian, your primary identity is that you are loved. That's like the core part of your identity as a follower of Jesus. 
is that I'm loved. I'm loved and I'm chosen. That he deeply cares about me. That if he could line up all the other really sweet looking bearded men in the planet, he'd say, Michael, I love you. I used to do that when my kids were little. I used to go tuck them into bed and I'd say, you know, if, if I could line up all the four-year-olds in the whole planet, I'd choose you to be my, my son, my daughter. It's like that's exactly how our Heavenly Father feels about us, that we're deeply loved. And that's like a core piece of our identity. And when you allow yourself to be unconditionally deeply loved, there's nothing you can do to increase God's love. There's nothing you can do to decrease God's love for you. No amount of reading your Bible, no amount of prayer, no amount of like doing stuff will ever increase his love for you. You know why? Because it's not based on what you do. It's never been based on what you and I do. It's always been based on who he is and what he's done. And once you allow yourself to begin to be deeply, unconditionally loved, it begins to transform every single part of your life. I discovered that I no longer had to like perform and get things right. I no longer had to be right all the time in every conversation. I no longer had to be Mr. Wikipedia before Wikipedia. Because I'm deeply, deeply loved. Because he cares about me. My prayer for us tonight is that we would know that and live in that and swim in that, that God's lavish love would drip down your chin, that you would experience that tonight. Heavenly Father, would you allow us to experience that? Not just hear about it, not just talk about it, but experience that kind of love. There's biblical words that, English words that are translated out of the Greek that talk about God's love as unfailing, as extravagant, like way beyond what's needed indiscriminate, wondrous, boundless, and unconditional. A couple years ago, I read a book by a guy named David Benner, and he's written some really cool stuff. And one of the books that he wrote was um, one called uh, Surrendered to Love. Because if God really is love, becoming a follower of Jesus is really just surrendering to that love. It's surrendering to him. And listen to what he writes about this. He said, in order for our knowing God's love to be truly transformational, it must become the basis of our identity. Our identity is who we experience ourselves to be, the I each of us carries within. And an identity grounded in God would mean that when we think of who we are, the first thing that would come to mind is our status as someone who is deeply loved by God. Really quickly, picture yourself standing in front of the mirror, getting up in the morning or getting ready for bed. You're standing in front of the mirror. You're grooming your beard or whatever you've got to groom. What's the first thing that comes to mind about you? Who am I? You know, you know what I would do? I would write it on your mirror until it's the first thing that comes to your mind. I am deeply, deeply loved by Creator God by my heavenly father. I'm loved by him. It's a scary thing to allow yourself to be unconditionally loved. We love to earn love. We love to earn good grades. We love to earn things. Like we're wired for that. And this is something you can't possibly earn. What would it change for you 
what would have to maybe drop out of your identity in order to embrace someone being deeply loved? Here's another way to think about it. Psalm 139, the psalmist talks about, he's talking about himself, and then he says, your works are wonderful. He's talking about him being created. He says, your works are wonderful. I know that full well. What would it look like for you to stand in front of the mirror and go, God, dang, you did such a good job. It's, it's almost that same kind of pride that we see in the Apostle John, the disciple whom Jesus loved. God, you did such a good job. Like I could look into myself in front of the mirror and I could think, well, there's a lot of things I'd change. Like if I could just magically reshape my life. Right? What would have to change to be able to say, dang God, you did great. I'm so loved. My identity is one who is deeply, deeply loved. What would have to change? Lord, I ask that you would begin changing that in us, in me. Could you reshape our identity as one who is loved? I experienced it on my beanbag chair 41 years ago, but I've experienced it every year since, going deeper and deeper and deeper. Like I'm loved. And from that place of being deeply loved, of surrendering to the one who loves me, it's like he invites us into all sorts of crazy stuff. I'll never forget when I, f I was walking on a beach one night in Oregon at that silly little Bible college and, and I had gotten the opportunity to go out with some teams of people and to like do a church service, right? And some people were there to do the drama and some people there would do the music and, and the dean of the college said, hey, Michael, I want you to go and I want you to teach the word. And I'm like, which word? He goes, no, no, like the Bible. I'm like, the whole thing? He goes, no, 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 you just take like a part of it and you... And like, I'd never done that before. And I went and did that. I was something like this. Like, it was probably a nightmare. I probably like massacred the passage inside out. I might not have gone longer than seven minutes. I'd never had more fun in my life. And so I'm walking on the beach and I'm kind of talking to God about how much fun that was. And he goes, well, that's because I made you to be a pastor. And I'm like, no way. Those guys are dorks. <laughs> like, seriously, I don't want to be a dork. Like, who, 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 like, when there's, like, 17 years old, go, man, I sure hope I can grow up and be a dork. <laughs> like, nobody does that. But what, I, what I didn't realize is the one who loved me created me. He wired me really specifically, to like, to do things that I would really enjoy. And it turns out church planting and being a pastor and being a creative artist designer was exactly how he made me to be and to have a really nice beard. <laughs> it's not just John who realized this stuff. The Apostle Paul, he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. He chose us to be in him before the very foundation of the world. He writes in Ephesians and Colossians, he says, so then, just as those, as those who have been chosen of God, holy and dearly loved, the Apostle Paul gets this. He prays for us, the church in Ephesus and for us. I pray that you being rooted and established in love. Rooted 
and established in love. Hey, gardening, there it is. It's more than just hacking off the branches. Who knew? I am convinced, he writes, that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present or the future or any powers, nor either height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from what? The love of God that's in Christ Jesus, our Lord. God's love. Like that's, this is like the whole thing. The whole entire thing. This is absolutely like amazing. And I, and I see it come up over and over again in my life and over and over again in the scriptures. And every year, the roots go a little deeper, the roots go a little deeper. And because of that, there's different kinds of fruit in my life that I long for. It's part of that new world that God is doing, his kingdom, that I absolutely long for, that you absolutely long for as we let those roots go deeper and deeper. And then this fruit just appears. I'm an introvert that really disliked people. Like, I really disliked y'all. I lived for, I had gone through a few things and I'd been to Bible college, you know, and I didn't, I didn't graduate because I realized I am not nearly as conservative as these folks. Like, I love art and music and, and like I, you know, the school, you had to like sign this stuff that you wouldn't do this and wouldn't do that and wouldn't do this and wouldn't do that. And I didn't really want to do those things until I signed this stuff and then I wanted to do all of them. Right? And I just thought, like, why are we, like, saying we can't do stuff that God created, you know, that he made that's really cool? And, and so eventually they started, I got offered a job to be a youth pastor in a really conservative domination, and I said, I just can't do that. I just, I can't do that thing. Like, you know, I love God, but I don't know about your church, Lord. You're kind of, like, weird. And so I went to art school. And while I'm in art school, I met, like, I made all these friends that didn't know Jesus. Have you ever been to art school? Like, here's weird dudes that go to art school, right? Like, there's people that are just, like, sometimes really messed up. And, and so I started introducing them to Jesus. Like, I had experienced God's love, and you guys are, like, trying to do all this stuff to feel loved, and you don't need to do all that stuff. Like, there's a creator God, and he loves you. Let me show you where that talks about that in the scripture. Let me, let me pray for you. Let, let, let's experience some of that. And, and then, you know, we started a few Bible studies, and like did a bunch of stuff and I got involved in church planting over the years and just helping different churches go but I didn't want to be the pastor I didn't want to do that that's like those guys have to wear a tie like I didn't even own a tie like they had real jobs I just lived in a Volkswagen bus that I painted you know and just had a great time and my bus was named Winston it was I know I know it's beautiful and uh <laughs> you all think I'm really weird don't you I am. <laughs> and I'm deeply, deeply loved. And, um, and then eventually I met some folks that were planning a vineyard church, and, and I thought, oh my gosh, this is my tribe. They're all weird. <laughs> this, is, this is like brilliant. These guys are amazing, right? So here's my, here's my second big point, that God, he takes us and he works with us right where we're at. Like right where we're at. And he does it differently for every single one of us. When we start thinking about discipleship and, and growing in our relationship with Jesus, oftentimes we come from that place of just being loved right where we're at and, and, and we think that God wants to take everybody through this little mechanistic process that's gonna like churn them around and spit them out and you're gonna have like identical Christians like all together, right? But it's fascinating to me that God works with all of us like in totally different ways. 
And you might say, Michael, where's that in the Bible? that God works with all of us in different ways. And I'd be saying, great question. Way to be so astute and smart and ask good questions. Think about this. To Peter and uh, James, Andrew and John, he finds them in their fishermen. And he says, come and follow me. And when he discovered that they're fishermen, he didn't go, oh no, they're fishermen. This is gonna take a lot longer. <laughs> Doggone it. Why didn't I call the engineers? He doesn't do that. What he says is, I'm gonna make you fishers of men. When, I, I love the way he speaks to them right where they're at. Many years later, I didn't connect it to this at all, but many years later in my life, at one point I'm in these vineyard churches and I feel like God says, I want you to relocate. I want you to give up your career as an artist, which at that point was pretty lucrative for me. I was having a blast, like doing watercolor paintings, sending them to galleries. They send me checks back. Every once in a while I go for a show and there's wine and cheese. It's like, like it's a life, man, it's sweet. <laughs> and every time my kids got a little older and needed like more expensive stuff, I just raised the price on the paintings and they still sold. I'm like, this is brilliant. Like, I don't know who thought of this, but this is a great way to make a living, right? And at one point, I felt like God says, I want you to walk away from that. I want you to go to Duluth, Minnesota, where the ice never melts. And I want you to, you know, plant a vineyard church. It was actually a really small vineyard church that had been planted about six years ago. And it was like kind of ingrown and unhealthy and just wasn't a good, you know, it wasn't like a great situation. My wife, when I said, I think this is where we're called to go. She goes, no, we're supposed to go to a healthy place. And... Uh, she said, nobody there could ever be my friend. And then God spoke to her about three days later and said, Brenda, you were the person I made for that job. So I came home, she was crying. She said, okay, let's go. So I'm driving up there one day because I was working in, in Minneapolis, St. Paul, and then driving two and a half hours to Duluth and kind of going back and forth. And I'm driving and, uh, and I'm just praying. And I said, God, am, am I ever going to be an artist again? Like, am I giving up being an artist? And, and it was so sweet because he said, oh, Michael, you'll always be an artist but for a while, I'm gonna change your medium. Your new medium is people. <laughs> I knew that watercolor was hard. And I want you to paint a portrait of Jesus in that area. Immediately, I knew exactly what to do. Like if you're gonna paint a portrait of somebody, you got to get to know the way they look inside out. You gotta like memorize everything about them so that you can just do it from memory like in your sleep. Brenda and I had been married about six months and um, I was kind of bored with a project I was working on and so she went off to work and that day I painted a painting of her completely from memory. Like to paint a portrait of somebody, you gotta memorize like every single thing about them. That portrait still hangs in my office and uh, it's amazing. When she came home from work that day, she, saw it, she started crying. And I thought, uh-oh. Because <laughs> we'd only been married six months. I didn't, hadn't yet discerned good tears from bad tears. I still struggle with that. <laughs> it's just a guy thing. I totally struggle with that. Good tears, bad tears, a clue, just a little clue. Like, I'll apologize if I need to. Just tell me what I'm sorry for. Like, I'll do that, right? <laughs> anyway. Like you gotta get to know the subject matter inside out and then you just gotta work with the medium all the time. In order to get good at watercolor, you gotta paint thousands of paintings. You gotta, you gotta waste thousands of sheets of paper before you actually start to get good with it. And, and I thought, I just gotta spend all my time with people. Oh no, I'm an introvert. God, you blew it. <laughs> Wrong number. <laughs> and then God just deposits this love for y'all in me. 
where like every time I'd see people, I'd start to cry, and I thought, I am losing my mind. It's amazing what he does when we just submit and surrender and, and pursue him. And, and I love the way he spoke to these guys specifically. And so that's what he does with them. But you remember to the demon-possessed man, sometimes he's known as the Gadarene demoniac. The, Jesus comes and he casts out a legion of demons and they go into the pigs and they all go die off the cliff and I don't know what happened after that barbecue, I'm thinking. <laughs> you know, I don't know, it was waterlogged barbecue. Anyway... Remember that guy says, I want to come with you. And you remember what Jesus says to him? He says, no, I want you to stay here. Totally different thing. He doesn't say, hey, come with me and I'll make you a barbecuer of, no, that wouldn't work. Nathaniel. Jesus runs into Nathaniel and tells him about his incredibly good character, John chapter 1. To the woman at the well, Jesus doesn't offer to make, come make her like a fisher of men. He responds to her completely differently. He says he offers her living water and then points out the brutal mistakes, brutally points out the mistakes that she's made in her life and offers her hope and healing in the midst of that. To the self-righteous over and over, Jesus compared them unfavorably to all the most broken parts of society. Luke 18 is a great example. To Zacchaeus, the tax collector, the really short guy that had to get up in the tree to see Jesus as he's marching through his town. I think it was the town of Jericho. Remember how Jesus responds to him? He doesn't say, come down out of that tree and I'll make you a fisher of men. He says, come down out of that tree because I'm going to have dinner at your house today. Jesus just invites himself over to Zacchaeus. And because of that, Zacchaeus surrenders his life. And really like real real lines his finances there's that rich young ruler matthew 18 or 19 and jesus's interaction with him is he tells him to give it all away nicodemus in john chapter 3 jesus's interaction with him like he waxes philosophical all of a sudden and starts talking about you know uh, the history of the israelites and the and the and the and the you know the serpent being raised up that they had to look to to get healed to the roman soldier Jesus compliments his faith and heals his servant. See, he knows that some of us really need challenge. He knows that some of us need a mercy and an embrace. He knows that some of us need to look at life with a different perspective, that some of us, we need to take dramatic action in order to really follow him, that some of us just need to spend time with Jesus, that some of us need to be sent out to others, and that some of us just simply need to be recognized and known. Jesus deals with us all differently. He invites us into this thing and he works with us right where we're at. But here's the thing I love about him. He never leaves us where he found us. Never does he leave us where he found us. He starts with us right where we're at and he accepts us and he loves us, but he doesn't leave us there. And so I don't know about you, but every step of the way, God is challenging me to grow. I got to hang out today with some vineyard leaders. And I had hung out with some of them, I don't know, three or four years ago. And uh, one of the gals came up to me afterwards and she said, you know, Michael, the last time I was here, you said some of the same things. And I thought, sorry, I'm kind of a one-trick pony. <laughs> like, I got one thing. She goes, no, 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 no. You said some of the same things, but today you said them from a completely different place. I go, what do you mean? She goes, you've changed. Like, you're healthier today. 
And I thought, sweet. Like every step of the way, God's inviting us to grow and he challenges us. He takes us right where he finds us. He loves us unconditionally and deeply. And then he invites us to grow and to change. Like never make the mistake of saying, well, this is just who I am, deal with it. Because guess what? Your heavenly father won't deal with it. He'll deal with you in a really loving way and push you to change. So here's what I want to do. Am I out of time? I could talk for hours. You probably can't listen for hours. I want to invite the Holy Spirit to really come and kind of do some stuff in us. And to take some of these words and some of this worship stuff that we've been doing and to take it significantly deeper in our lives.